Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Well, good evening, everybody. Justin Hughes here, and Andrew is with me. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing good, man. Ready to talk some third base. Yeah, and I want to apologize. I didn't bring this up last episode. For those of you who are having to hear my nasally voice, I've been dealing with a cold for this last week, and it's one of two options. We don't record for a week or two, and there's no way we get all our player rankings in or we just you all have to put up with my nasally voice until i get through this i i personally thought it would be better just to fight through it we'll just keep moving forward andrew i do want to ask you we're week into spring training have you gotten to watch many baseball games yet uh i've watched i've watched a little bit not quite as much as i would like to or normally would yeah i'll have it on a lot tomorrow and not quite as much as as normal, but it's coming. So I I haven't gotten to watch much either. I've mostly been looking at highlights of seeing whenever guys who I find interesting hit a home run, I go watch. Like I've, I think I've seen every one of Buxton's home runs so far. That guy's been interesting, yeah. and there've been a few other guys. Is, have you been watching live? Has anything cool's happened yet? No, not really. I saw uh, Phil Irvin take. Uh, Melanson, I think, yeah, Melanson deep last night. It was like a total meatball, but I guess that's not surprising. Yeah. But yeah, no, not, not really. I mean, I, I, it's like one of those things at the beginning here. I've just kind of had, I'll have it on, but I'm not always watching really close. Kind of slowly getting into it, but it's definitely uh, once it gets towards the end of spring training and like especially the beginning of the season, it's it'll be constant. So it's like it's fine to not quite be all about it right at the moment. Yeah, right now everybody's just getting a couple of innings in, a couple of bats in. Yeah. And then they're yeah. getting ready to go golfing in the afternoon. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> nobody's really taking it too seriously yet. Outside it is of kinda, Buxton. It is kind of cool to see like with the marginal players, you know, that are position battling and stuff like that, who's doing what. I've been I've definitely been watching the box scores real close. So that is the thing. The guys who are in position battles are the kids who are not quite up to the big leagues, probably not gonna make it up yet. At to start the year, maybe we'll be up midseason or next year that are playing and just getting to see how they handle themselves against some uh, some major league talent. So that is pretty cool. Yeah. Today we're going to talk third base ranks. We've got about 30 names here. We're going to go through. Ready to get started on that, Andrew? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Number one at the very top going Fourth overall is Jose Ramirez. And it's kind of funny to talk about him because I don't know if I've ever remember a situation where a hitter had 39 home runs, 34 steals, a year like that. They're healthy going into spring, and there are people who are scared of them. But that is what we have with Ramirez, who in the first half of last year, he was playing at MVP levels. He had 29 home runs, 20 stolen bases, a 300 batting average. He has 68 runs, 70 RBI. I remember you making a post at the time, Andrew, last May or June, saying basically that this guy, he's the second overall pick in 2019 drafts. And then the second half happened. It was a big struggle for him. He hit 218 with 10 home runs, 14 stolen bases, to where it was a it was rough for him and owners who were getting superstar caliber 
stats in the first half and not in the second half. When you dig a little deeper, his K rate was the same, exact same, actually. His walk rate was actually better. He was walking at a 17% clip. His hard hit rate, when I saw it, that was a significantly down. His hard hit rate in the first half was around 40%, and it did fall all the way down to 30%. That's the one flag I see when I'm really going through, but a lot of other stuff seems like there was some bad luck in here. We're going into drafts here. Where do you think you have Ramirez ranked in terms of your top five or ten? Where do you think you would take him? Uh, I would take him third overall. I was probably a little uh, overexcited, I guess, when I said second. But, I mean, it's second, third, it's whatever. I, if you took him second, I wouldn't even argue with it. But he's behind Mookie for me, probably for most people. I know he said his ADP was four. It is four, but it actually, by the ranks, is three. It just averages out to four, so just something to keep in mind. Latest he's gone in any draft is eight, and he's actually gone first. There was an NFBC draft where he did oh go my. number one, which is a little nuts. But uh, yeah, I you know the second half it was a it was a struggle, but I think a lot of it was bad luck. And he's awesome, man. Like he's he's just an across the across the board five category contributor in his prime in in a good lineup you know it's it's pretty much everything you want in a fantasy player i don't really i don't really see the complaint but yeah if we're nitpicking you know the second half it's it was a struggle and mookie and trout seem to never have that problem so having him behind them is fine but i just don't feel like you're getting much five category production like this other than Maybe Acuna, but that's even, you know, some people may not be comfortable with that either. So, yeah, I'm totally cool with him at three. Yeah, I think I'd take him three also. And I wasn't digging at you for taking him, saying you'd take him second. At that time, I think you'd be crazy not to have with the first half that he had had coming off of a very solid 2017 also. I've heard you tell me privately your take on him in a dynasty league, and I thought I'd ask you if you wanted to share that here. Yeah, I I'm not as big on him in in dynasty leagues. For one, there's just there's just younger guys that I like more, a little bit more. I kind of wonder and you know, this you have to really split hairs when you're talking about these guys because we're talking the elite of the elite. So anything that I'm about to say about Jose Ramirez, dynasty value is all relative. He he would probably be off the top of my head and I don't have a list here nine or 10 for me in dynasty. So that's still elite, you know, it's still great. I mean, I just have enough reservations about mostly about his body. I think that, you know, he's, he's a chunky guy. Let's, let's be real for a minute. You know, it's just, he's kind of that type of dude. And a lot of his value on top of that is stolen bases right now, like in this moment. And I don't think those are going to last for that long. It may be fine this year, could be fine the year after, but there will come a point, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's sooner than people think, where his steals go away. And then you have a really good hitter still, but it takes away a lot of the intrigue with him. And I'm just kind of forward thinking on that and knowing that it's going to happen and sometimes just... I like to get ahead of the curve, be ahead of the curve on those things. So just something to keep in mind. Like I said, I, I'd probably have him eight, nine, ten, 
somewhere in that range. So it's it's uh, not as high as I would in redraft, but still high. Obviously, he's he's still a first round pick. Yeah, that's a very good point. I've felt that way in dynasty with a lot of these guys who are 20, 20, 25, 25 guys. I remember having McCutcheon six years ago whenever he went 30, 30, and I think he went 30, 30. It was really close to that if he didn't. And he won MVP and the MVP that year. I remember thinking, I, this feels like the ceiling. And eventually whenever you get guys like that and then the speed goes away, they slip down their fifth, sixth round value guys. The next thing you know, they're go- like McCutcheon now, a few more years passed, and now he's going after round 10. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, the one thing I will say is his plate approach is just so insane, though. I mean, it's like uh-huh. his walks and lack of strikeouts. He just puts the bat on the ball. He's such a good hitter. I mean, I, I don't want to take anything away from him right now because, he, like I said, he's he's smacking his prime, and he's he's unreal. I mean, that season that he had, especially the first half, but – when you have a second half that was that bad and you still are able to churn out 39 homers and 34 steals, that's just incredible. It's ridiculous. I mean, 387 OBP, it's out of this world stuff, you know? So, I, 15% um, walk rate and an 11% strikeout rate. That's just incredible. Yeah. yeah, he's one of those guys. He just contributes across the board. It's like any time that you have a – a young player that you're dreaming on, this is, this is what you, where you want them to be to get, you know, where he is. So it's pretty awesome. He's a stud. He is a stud and definitely a top five pick. You know, as you were saying in the dynasty talk though, I was showing our startup dynasty draft that I just finished a couple weeks ago to a friend and a group chat with another league mate. And whenever he saw it and he saw Ramirez went seven, he said that was criminal. Again, I think I'm with you on the – I don't really agree with him there. I have no issue with him falling down to the seven to ten range as compared to going in the top five. Which, But I also don't have a problem if somebody wants to take him top five. Obviously, it's never a bad thing whenever somebody who you don't like as much goes sooner than you expect because – that just means you're going to get more value. Like you just said, whenever that speed goes, that's going to drastically change his value. Well, the other thing, too, is, in my opinion, in a dynasty league, if you're at, say, five or six or seven or whatever, and that's not the guy that you want, I mean, you got to keep in mind, in dynasty, you have these guys forever, unless you trade them. You have them for the length of the league redraft you know it's one year obviously so it's a lot different if jose ramirez isn't the guy you want at at five or six and you want somebody else take the guy that you want because you're the one that has to live with it not anybody else and i i think that that uh i think people just too often are thinking oh he slipped a couple spots well okay if that's not your guy take your guy you know within reason obviously but yeah, I just think it's something that something to keep in mind because once you once you take them, that's it. You've got him now. So it's. But yeah, if somebody took him three in a dynasty league, that's totally fine. That's it's just I I wouldn't do it, but it's fine. I, I don't. It's not like when it happens, I sit there and go, "Oh my gosh, that's crazy." No, not at all. It's totally a fine pick. It's not like taking Mondesi in the third round. <laughs> Going back to that. Okay, yeah, we'll move on. Nolan Arenado comes up at pick number eight overall. 
that he's at, his ADP is at eight, I should say. Arenado signed an eight-year, $260 million extension with an opt-out after three years this past week. We haven't talked about this yet. He's 27 right now. It's I, a couple thoughts. First off, it's going to be real interesting to see if what happens in three years. That's right around the time the labor agreement is up, if he's going to opt out at that time or not. But also... The sound you hear going off this week is dynasty owners rejoicing about that extension. I'm not saying that I think he would have gone back and been a terrible player, but I don't think he'd be a top 10 level player if he left Colorado. Now that he's there and you really think about it, he may be the most steady player or one of them at least in baseball. Yeah, he definitely is. I am... 100% not surprised at all that they locked him up. I've been saying for the last year or two, I, I thought this whole thing of Arenado's going to leave Coors was just getting overblown. I, I, I've i never been worried about it. I own him in Rotomasters 1. I guess you could say it was in the back of my mind, like slightly, but... Honestly, not really. I I was fully confident because with a guy like that, he is just everything Rockies at this point. I mean, he is their franchise player. He is a ridiculous bat. He's ridiculous in the field. He's a great leader. Like, he's everything you want in a franchise player. He really is. Like, I love the guy. He's just amazing. And I just never really saw it being at a point where they just let this guy walk like can you even imagine what Rockies people would be doing I mean it would just be a total mess and not that that's never happened before it has but yeah I just I wasn't really worried about it and I I never let it influence me too much on Arenado's value it was I guess it was something that's you know it's in the back of your mind but I never really consciously thought about it I I just I'm not surprised by this at all Colorado has actually had a history of keeping their stars, too. You go back and Todd Helton, they hung on to him and they, they paid him. Then you go uh, go fast forward and Troy Tulowitzki and Carlos Gonzalez, the stars of that team, they locked those guys down. And now here we are in this wave with Nolan Arenado, and once again they lock him down. Colorado does seem to have a pretty good history of when they have a superstar-level player they do what they can to keep them while they're in that prime. So good for them. I I think it's great for that organization. It's great for baseball. I love seeing players re-sign and stick with the team that brought that came up through. So I, yeah. I'm thrilled. Yeah, it's it's really good. And he, as far as him being steady, like you mentioned, he might be the most steady player in the league. Last four seasons. 42, 41, 37, and 38 home runs. 130, 133, 130, and 110 RBIs. 287, 294, 309, 297 batting average. Plays, you know, between 156 and 160 games all four of those years. It's like I'm I'm looking at these four seasons, and it's carbon copy. It's all, you know, all the way down. It's... He's unbelievable. He really is. He, if he's, if, if there, I've always said this and I, and I do mean it. 
let's just say you played in a league where it was the five categories minus the steals. You just forgot about steals. He might be number I one. Think, I think you take him ahead of Mike Trout. I do. Yeah. Like, if, if there was no, or at least right there with Mike Trout. I mean, maybe Top 1A, two. 1B. Yeah, yeah. Because his runs and RBIs every year are elite. Power, elite, average, good, or great to elite. You know, very good. He's awesome. I mean, across the board, it's he's great. And early in his career, his walk rates weren't that great. They were in the 4 or 5%. But the last three years... You know, it, all right, let me go back. In 2015, it was a 5% walk rate. And since then, 2016, 9.8%. 2017, 9.1%. 2018, last year, it got to 10.8%. So his approach at the plate is improving, which yeah. that makes that just makes him that much more dangerous. The thing I like about him, too, is he knows he's good. He has, like, that swagger where he just he knows he's good. But he doesn't, he doesn't come off in a way that it annoys you. When you watch him, it, it really is. It's like, I know I'm the best player on the field today, and I'm out here to do it. You know, And, it, and it's just it's awesome to watch. He's, he's so good, man. I got to meet him once. I don't know if I ever told you that. but Really? I, at a double-A Cardinals game, I went over there to their side of the field whenever he was playing. And I just said, hey, Nolan. He came over and talked. He came up to me. I was like, hey, I'm just looking just wanted to shake your hand. I didn't have anything to get him to sign. And I was just saying I was looking forward to seeing you in the big someday. And he was really nice to me. He was just like, thanks, this, man. I really appreciate that. And yeah. This was a this was a major league game or a minor leagues. Double minor league Springfield. Okay. okay, I didn't yes. hear you say. It. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So it was it was a real neat experience. So I I think we go back. That's the way I like to say it. We're friends. <laughs> yeah, we go back. Yeah. <laughs> So it was before he ever came up? Yeah, this is like 2011, 2012-ish, oh, okay. somewhere in that That's range. That's cool. cool. Yeah, yeah I, remember, I, remember, uh, I remember reading before he came up that he might have like 20 home run power someday. Yes. Or it was, yes. It, was a, it was a quote very similar to that. Like, he may hit for 20 to 25 home runs someday. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, that's great. Yep. Kind of like what they say about Colton Welker now. That's pretty much very similar yeah. to what they're saying, what they said about him. I do remember that. All right, we'll move on to number three, and that is another guy who is a superstar now, Alex Bregman. After having 19 home runs and 17 steals in a really solid 2017, he took it up into another level with 31 home runs, 10 steals, an on-base percentage near just under 400, and 100 over 100 runs and RBI where now he's going in the first round at pick 13. It was an incredible year, but I got to say personally, I'm a little uncomfortable with him at this spot. Not, I, I believe he's going to be a steady player, but a couple of years ago when he came up, I remember telling people that I saw this guy as a 25 home run, 10 stolen base guy. That's what I kind of viewed him as. And he came out last year and was even better than that. But... Personally, I see him as a really good ball player, and I don't have. If you want to take him at in the first round, more power to you. But I kind of seem whenever I've done drafts of when it's gotten to me, and he's been there in that first round. I've gone other directions because I just I wouldn't be surprised if we look back at the at this 2018 and say 
that was his career year. And he's back to being more in the mid-20s and homers. Actually, I'm just now looking at his steamer projection for the first time. And, yeah, they have him at 26 home runs and 11 steals, which is solid. But I just see other guys going around this point that I think I'd rather have. Yeah, it's a fair argument. I think I'm fine with it. But I get what you're saying. I'm probably more likely to take him there than you would be, but I don't completely love it either. I think that the the homers probably will drop by a few. The one thing that's just great about him, though, is that lineup, man. It just bleeds the counting stats. They're going to be there. You know, when you're hitting like behind Springer and in front of Altuve and Correa or however they whatever order they want to do that in, it really it really does. I mean, he and he gets on base a ton. This is one of those. It kind of makes me think of Yelich a little bit. And I know you had said at some point that you weren't really big. I know we haven't gotten outfielders yet, but that you weren't really big on Yelich in the first. This is kind of my take on it with those two, because I think it's comparable i was thinking about this i can see them not producing first round value but i also can't see them busting like it's not like you're gonna look at this at the end of the year and go oh my god i lost my league because i took alex bregman 13 overall if he if he performs like the 25th to 30th best player I think taking him 13th is fine because there's going to be other guys in that range that perform worse than that. And I just think that his floor and same with Yelich comparable is so high that it's going to be fine. It it isn't going to hurt you that much, even if you don't actually think he's going to be in the top 13 or whatever. So they say. You can't win your league in the first round, but you can lose it. And you're not going to lose your league drafting those guys. Yeah, the other thing that's nice, too, with him is the flexibility is really nice. Mm-hmm. I know, like, you know, the shortstop, third base, that's that's a pretty valuable uh, combination because you can play him at corner or middle infield, which is, you know, in season when you start having guys get beat up. And that little stuff matters. I mean, it. It may not seem like it now, but you start having those things going on, and it it does matter down the road. And hopefully he can get off to a faster start this year. I know two years ago he had the same problem. Last year, once again, he had one home run in the month of April. I don't know if he had a single one in 2017. I'd have to go back and look. But I know it was was under two. (laughs) If he did get one, it might have just been one. For his sake, hopefully he gets off to a stronger start. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. All right, number four, we have Javi Baez. He is right there at the one, at the pick 15 on the wheel. We've already talked about him, so we're not going to go any further into him. And number five is his teammate, the actual third baseman for the Cubs. That'd be Chris Bryant, who is going significantly further down at pick 33. That's the third pick in the third round in a 15-team league. A shoulder injury limited him to 102 games in 2018, and it was a struggle. I almost feel like you can take these numbers and throw them out the window with him if you think he's healthy. And personally, the comparison I've continually thought of this entire last six months is 2016 Bryce Harper. 
Harper really didn't talk much about it, but there was a lot of talk that he had a shoulder that was bothering him. And just like Bryant, Harper would get a couple weeks off or a, a, a week off, and then he'd be back in 2016 slugging a few home runs for a few days, and his power would be gone again. And I kind of remember that with Bryant in terms of he'd go on the DL, he'd come back and actually hit a little bit when he just came back, and then all of a sudden his arm shoulder was bothering him, and he'd get shut down again. An off-season arrest, he's saying it's behind him, and he's feeling real good here in spring training. I think I'm on board with him at this price. I'm not saying that I he's going to get back to 2016 levels of 40 home run where he hit 39 home runs with 120 runs scored, but I, I think he can at least match what he did in 2017 with the 29 home runs and seven steals. I'm a Cardinal fan. You're a Cub fan, Andrew, and you follow this team a lot closer than I do. Where do you land on Bryant? Uh, I'm not drafting Bryant this year. I think if you just kind of look at what he provides across the board, OBP leagues excluded because his OBP is crazy awesome. So that changes it. But in batting average leagues, if you kind of look at, you know, what you expect, like just to give you an idea, Steamer has 275, 28 homers, 87 RBIs, 93 runs, and six steals. I mean, I think that maybe that's a little conservative, but I I think maybe the batting average, especially, it could be a little bit better batting average, I guess. He's 285 career. But yeah, I just, I feel like this is kind of buying the name a little bit. I question the shoulder too, because that's a big deal. I'm not saying that it's still hurt or, you know, I haven't, heard anything specifically on that i just think it's a little bit of buying into the bryant that we saw at the beginning and i just feel like each season he's almost like kind of gotten progressively worse as bad as it is to say i mean it's just the truth does he bounce back yeah i mean he's gonna be better than last year at least he should be unless his shoulder is just totally fried which is a whole nother conversation but I'm not sure how much, and I just feel like there's enough variance in his potential outcomes. I, I just don't know if I'm if I'm that comfortable with it here in the basically around the two three wheel. I think I'm out on him, and if he returns to MVP form, it'll it'll be on someone else's team, and I, I will love it. I'll love every minute of it. Believe that. Just, <laughs> yes, you will. And I will say, too, I'm kind of hard on the Cubs overall. And I know I've said it about Baez, too. And people are probably like, what the heck? This guy's a Cubs fan. And he doesn't like any of the Cubs besides Rizzo, pretty much. But I just try, I try and just evaluate guys and not think about that, you know. And I feel like I do that part okay is just removing the bias from my head. And that's what I'm just trying to do here. And I don't, I'm not really feeling it with Bryant at this spot. I'm just... There's some guys, like I've mentioned before, I think I mentioned it with Posey and D. Gordon, and it's like people buy into the name brand, and I think that's happening a little bit here. But there's always a chance he bounces back. He's 27, so always a chance. He was on my Dynasty League that I've mentioned that folded, so I don't have any shares this year, and I'm done drafting, so I won't have any shares but I would have gladly taken him if I had a chance. 
I get what you're saying about buying the name, and I actually agree with you on D. Gordon and Buster Posey. But I look at Bryant here as a third round, and I see I, – I think of Machado, and I think this guy could be everything Machado is. I really do believe he could be every bit as good as Machado around later. I'm not saying he will be. I think there may be a few less home runs than what Machado's capable of. But outside of that, I could see batting lines being pretty similar. It's certainly within the range of outcomes. I just think that the bottom of his range is way lower than Machado's, I just, mm-hmm. or sig- significantly lower. So it's it, just, just something to kind of keep in mind. He's gone from 13 to 8 to 7 to 2 steals, so there's really no steals expectations. So it's kind of like the rest has to be there, which it, it certainly could be. I don't think that that's out of the question at all. I think I'm just a little more confident in his shoulder being a thing that's behind him now than you are. I think that's what I'm hearing when we're talking. Yeah, probably. You're probably right on that. Well, I think you're going to have more positive things to say about number six here. And guys, look at your timer where we're at on the podcast now because we're probably – we. I shouldn't say probably. We may be going a half hour here on this guy. That one. <laughs> Vlad Guerrero Jr., 41 overall. We're talking the third round, 11th pick of the third round. Andrew, I know this is your boy. And I know that also that there are a lot of people that think it's absolutely bat bleeping crazy that he's going in the third round. And I've already been on record saying I'd do it. I did it in a Prospect 361 mock, and I know you will too. I just want to give the floor to you, though. Oh, man, we could go on forever. I mean, I'm going to really try not to. But (laughs) for starters, I'm just going to get I'll get the negative out of the way here at the beginning. I will say that if you are not comfortable taking him in this spot in a redraft league, I understand. It's the 41st pick overall, and he isn't even starting the year in the majors. And, and, he's, and he's never had a major league at bat. So if that isn't for you, I get it. And I just want to get that out of the way and say that because everything else I'm going to say is, is positive. When he gets to the majors, I have no doubts he's going to be great. To give you an idea of the type of hitter this guy is, and I know people know, but I think sometimes they discount it when they talk about him. I've been getting the Baseball America Prospect Handbook for eight years now, and I went back and looked at a few guys, okay? So we'll start just starting with Vlad. They gave him an 80 overall grade. So his total value, you know, the 2080 scouting scale, they basically give grades for hit, power, run, fielding, and arm. And then they give an overall grade. They gave him an 80. They never do that. In eight years, one person has gotten an 80 besides him, and it's Bryce Harper. Man. So we're talking Bryce Harper and then Vladimir Guerrero as the two. Wow. Right, right. They have never given anyone, including Harper, including Trout. I've got I wrote down I wrote down Trout, Harper, Bryant, Vlad, and Eloy, just to give an idea, okay? So they gave Trout a 70 hit, 65 power, and a 75 overall. 
This is when he's a prospect, of course, because they're in this book when they are prospects, obviously. They gave Harper a 60 hit, 80 power, and an 80 overall. Bryant, a couple years later, that those were both in 2012. 2014 or 15, they gave Bryant a 60 hit, 80 power, same as Harper, and a 75 overall. Vlad, they gave an 80 hit to, which they also have done on MLB.com, and 70 power. And there's people that say his power could get to 80 and an 80 overall grade. And just to give you a, a comparison, because he's the, pretty much the consensus number two prospect, Eloy got a 60 hit tool and, a, and 70 power. So same power as Vlad currently, and then a 70 overall. And there are people this that is, think Eloy is going to be a 300 hitter. Right. This, this is a generational hitter. There's no doubt about it. And if he doesn't wind up becoming that, then people that are way smarter than me were all wrong, too. People that do this for a living, you know, you can't tell me that the scouting is, is the same as it was even five years ago, let alone ten. And people will constantly bring up prospects that have failed in the past like that affects what Vlad Jr. is going to do. It, do, it doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense at all because the prospects that failed in the past, for one, they were nowhere near the prospect that Vlad is. Nowhere near. Because I don't even know if we've seen one like this since probably Harper. And before that, it was like Pujols and Miggy. And I will say this, that's who I think this guy is. The slightly heavier set guy that starts at third, goes to first, and end of career is a DH. That's the exact path, including the production that I expect out of this guy. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I mean, it's just one of those things that you have to trust what people say and you know it's it's some there's some people that have to see it in the majors and there's some people that don't and it's like i just know when this guy comes up he's gonna mash i just know he is and it really really the the question is i'm actually at this moment more questioning when they're gonna bring him up than i am if he's gonna mash when he gets there because now you're hearing these Stupid little things about, oh, you know, he's not a major leaguer yet. And I know that they're probably just playing games with that. And I still expect it to be the end of April, but it's not my call either. You know, if they play games, they play games. Nobody can control that but their front office and what they decide to do. But, yeah, it, it, it's generational talent, man. And I'm not missing out on it. I'm just not. And if, if somebody else wants to, be my guest. But it won't be me. You said there. He reminds you of Mickey and Pujols, and when you really look at his box scores and his lines and his hit grades, it is eerily similar to those guys. And I remember when Mickey and Pujols came up, they were hitting for an incredible average right out of the chute. Their power, it took them a few years to get there. I remember both of them were like 30 home run bats for the first few years. And the next thing we knew, they were hitting 45 and competing for triple crowns. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. I know there are a lot of people that will be screaming at their podcast right now, or maybe not screaming, but there will be people who are disagreeing (laughs) with us that are hearing this. 
And there are people who strongly disagree with the idea of taking a guy like this in a first round of a dynasty startup or in the third round of a redraft. But I'm with you here. My stats I'm going to throw in. You know, some people say, well, he only, he only hit 20 home runs last year. How many home runs do you think he can hit here in 2019? And my counter to that is he only played 91 games and hit those 20 home runs in uh, minor leagues where, yeah, the competition isn't quite as stiff as the major leagues. But when he comes up, he's going to be in the AL East, which is uh, the best division for hitting home runs in terms of the best parks in baseball are in that division. I should say the group of them. Second, the Major League Baseball, it does seem we're seeing this pattern more and more where when you get to the bigs, sometimes these guys who are hitting 20 home runs all of a sudden are hitting 25 to 30 because the ball is a different ball than they're using down there. He's, he was only 19 last year, so each year his, his body's developing a little more. And for him to hit 20 in 91 games, I don't really have many questions about him hitting 30-plus this year in a full season, which, or getting close to, I should say getting close to it. Cause he's not going to play a full season. He is going to start the year down. I don't, I hear what the upper management saying about him not being a major leaguer, but I still believe second into the second week of April, third week of April, he's up. There's the, he's not going to be in the minor leagues May 1st, unless there's an injury. I'd be willing to make a wager with anybody who was disagreed with me. Well, except for maybe like a GM for the Blue Jays, because then maybe he would he, he has the power to make that call. But I'd make the I'd make that wager with just about anybody else. This guy is a special hitter, and Steamer's got him projected as a rookie to hit three oh six. Steamer, which is always conservative, three oh six batting average. Yeah, like as, isn't it isn't it like second in the league? I haven't looked. I I've think when I like I think when I looked that when we did and we said Daniel Murphy, remember when I said Daniel Murphy mm-hmm. was yes. projected to lead? I think Vlad was second. So if so if I'm crazy, then Steamer is too. That's your batting champion, this guy, Vladimir this, Guerrero. <laughs> this guy is just four fourteen OBP in the minors. I mean, are you kidding me? It's just ridiculous. So, and yeah, as far as the home runs go. Every or not everybody, I won't say everybody, but a lot of guys when they come up to the majors, they hit more because of the ball yep. and stuff like that. So that and plus, even if he doesn't right away, he's going to grow into that. It's when you're that good of a hitter that just typically happens, and it it's going to happen with him. I just don't. This is just one of those things. It's like I I can't believe that people the the names that I've heard uh, like oh he's so-and-so busted, so he might bust. Or, you know, it, it has nothing to do with it. It just has nothing to do with it. And if you're just – all you can judge Vlad on – and if we're being fair and honest here, all you can judge Vlad on is what he himself has done to this point. He's only 19 years old. So, of course, he's not crushing the majors yet. He isn't – you know, or not even there yet – but he's 19 years old. He can't control that aspect of it. He's not in the majors yet. But if you can't tell that this guy is on the path to superstardom, I just don't understand like what you need to see it. 
I don't. I just don't get it, man. It it's so blatantly obvious. It, it's just it's a special, special, special hitter. We're not going to see a hitter like this for a long time, as far as what they're graded at going into the process. Now, this isn't saying when I said those overall grades, I wasn't saying it like you know Trout was a seventy-five and Vlad's an eighty. That was, you know, in Baseball America, that's what they said. I'm, I'm not saying that because I think Vlad's better than Trout at all. You know, 99%, he won't be as good. But the general point is, at this point, at this stage, which is all you can judge him on, he's in the conversation with those guys. What happens from here forward? You know, we'll just wait and see what happens, but... He's at that level. It's just a it's it's a generational talent. It's- Let's move into dynasty talk with him. Derek James asked on Facebook, and once again, I did I forgot to mention this, but we did put it out there for on the baseball three sixty five group. If you have some questions on third baseman, fire them away, and we'll get them into the podcast. And Derek James asked, Aaron Otto or Vlad in a dynasty league? I know my answer is Vlad. But I'm going to ask you, because I think you have the same answer, but I want you to answer why. Yeah, I'd take Vlad. Uh, I took Vlad in the Rotomasters 3 startup, which we're go- still going right now. It started two weeks ago. I took him fourth overall. Fourth um, overall? Yeah. It was uh, Trout, Betts, and Acuna. And then I took Vlad. I- I already knew that, but I'm, I know there are people listening who are probably, hopefully not driving off the road, but their eyes kind of pop out of their <laughs> Yeah, don't, don't drive <laughs> off the road. You said that. Don't drive off the road. The thing, the great thing about it is if, if he doesn't pan out, I'm the one that has to deal with it. Nobody else. That's what it is. But yeah, to me, and I love Arenado. If somebody took Arenado ahead of Vlad, I, I would, I'd be like, yeah, I wouldn't do that. But it's not like I would think they're stupid. No. I mean, I, Arenado's everything I said about him. You know, he's great. But he's also 27, 28. 27. You know, it's, he's halfway through his career, basically, or his productive portion of his major league career. You know, once you get to 31, 32, 33, he probably won't be the same player as he is right now, which is years off, and I, I understand that. But with Vlad, you're getting the whole thing. He hasn't even started yet, and... I know some people only think the next two or three years in dynasty leagues. I typically think forever. You know, the next, the you know, the most, the closest, the next two to three years is the most important. But even beyond that, you have to consider because I'm not. If I think a dynasty league is going to fold, I'm not going to join it, and it could fold. You know, but uh, that's that's a whole nother that's a whole nother discussion. But yeah, I would take Vlad for sure because I think that. His production at peak will be what Arenado's is with maybe better batting average, close to it, and you're getting the whole thing because he will be 20 here right before the season as opposed to the back half of Arenado's prime. I want to quote you one of the other things I've heard you I say. I will say real, real quick before you go, I will say Arenado being in cores all that time will be huge. And yes. not that I not that I was never worried or ever really worried about that, but that is big, and some people will move Arenado up because of that, and I honestly don't blame them for that. So, yeah. but yeah, I would I would still take Vlad. The thing I've heard you say 
with Vlad and some people not feeling good about taking him in the first round of a dynasty. The problem with that mindset is if Vlad becomes everything that you're saying you're confident he's going to be, by the time he's proven to those people that he is this caliber of player, it's too late to get him. Yeah. Yeah, it's too late. I mean, it's it's already kind of too late, as crazy as it's. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah you, it's like one of those things where the earlier along you buy into it, obviously the less expensive it's going to be. And uh, I didn't even buy into it as early as I as some people did or that, you know, some people that are listening probably think I I've paid mm-hmm. where I've got, I've paid where I've gotten him. I've got him in two two of my dynasty leagues and I've I've paid a hefty price. But I'm also extremely confident that it's going to be fine. Like, I think that he's a top of the first round guy for a long time and he's just starting out. So it's I remember around when you bought in on him. It was somewhere early to mid part of 2017, if I recall right. You were I, that's whenever I started hearing you talk about him and make posts about him. And didn't you even get to see him and Bo Bichette play in Double A? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, me and my buddy, we went to uh, we went to a game. It was May of 17. Yeah, they were over in uh, South Bend playing. They were they were at Lan- in Lansing. Um, Midwest League, and they were playing the Cubs, South Bend Cubs. We just went over there, and yeah, he was crushing. And I, I walked down by the field. It was, it was. I wasn't too far from him. It was, we were on the third base side, right there. Was, he's a big boy, but yeah, he was mashing. I think he yeah. hit. A, I think he had a double that game. But uh, yeah, it's just I could, I could probably just make the whole rest of the podcast about him. So it's. He's just, he's amazing. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to buy into an 80 hit tool, 19 year old. It's, you never, ever, ever see this. It's just, and don't, and enough with the Dominic Brown and Desmond Jennings. talk. <laughs> I'm just, I don't want to hear it ever again. Those guys weren't remotely the prospect that he is. They're just, it's just laughable. I, I laugh so hard every time I see it. I'm just like, you can't be serious. You should do me a favor and go back to because you have all the prospect handbooks going back to when those guys were prospects. I'd be curious to know what the hit tool was on those guys on these BA grades at those times. Because yeah, I, I could check. I think that two two thousand twelve is the first one I got, and I that's probably pushing it. Isn't that even after Don Brown was? I don't remember, but I think I don't think I Brown was up yet. I'd be yeah. curious to know. If not, we could find it somewhere. Yeah, I look. I can look it up later. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Vlad play outside of the one game. I've gotten to see him so far on TV was the Fall Stars game. And I won't forget that when he laced that double to left field in that game. That ball was just – it was a screamer in terms of coming off that bat. I remember hearing people say who were seeing him hit home runs in the minors last year that – when the bat hit the ball, it sounded like thunder. And seeing that line drive, it was just incredible how low it was in the air, but how fast it got past that left fielder and hitting the ground and then hitting the wall. It was crazy. Yeah, I've also I've also seen him comp to Manny Ramirez as far as like the type of hitter. So just to give you another one, it's just that's what you're crazy. looking at. It's it's nuts. 
right. You think we should talk about him more or should we move on? We can move on. I think everybody's <laughs> probably, everyone's probably fast forwarding through it. So it's understandable. All right. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's good at baseball. All right. Number seven, Anthony Rendon with the Nationals at 42. So we're talking near the end of the third round. I like Rendon. He's a steady yet unspectacular production the last few years. And the comp I thought of when I was writing up all these players and thinking about them is, is he kind of like the third base version of Anthony Rizzo to you? I could see a little bit. Yeah. He hasn't hit quite the home run power, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's fair as far as like just safe and not MVP level, but you know, good. I can get behind that. I like Rendon. I've always liked him. He's, he's a phenomenal hitter. Like just, yeah, controls the strike zone so well. And I was listening to somebody the other day talk about it. I can't even remember who it was, but just talking about how elite his hit tool is, how any given year, if he hit 315, you wouldn't even be surprised. Kind of is how I think about him, too. I, I don't really expect him to ever hit for a ridiculous amount of power, but if he ever hit like that crazy high batting average, it wouldn't really surprise me. His on base is awesome, too. Yeah, he's really good. He's really good. Steady. He's another one of those that's improved the last couple of years. His strikeout rate in 20, 2015 and 2016 was, you know, solid at 19.7% and 18%. But the last two years, he's dropped that under 14% at 13.6 and 13.7, which has brought his batting average up over 300 both years. On top of that, he walks at a great clip. Last year, 9%. The year before, it was almost 14%. He's a solid player. He is an unspectacular player in terms of fantasy stats because he seems to always be right there in the mid. I shouldn't say always, but the last two years, he's been in the mid-20s in home runs. He's another one of those that as long as he's healthy, he's not going to lose lose leagues for you. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too, is I was going to bring up is when he first came up, it was a lot of questions with his health he couldn't stay healthy when he was coming out of college and stuff and he's gotten a lot better with that he's he's been staying on the field more and it's it's shown I mean he's like I said great hitter and that was always the thing with him he was always a great hitter it was just a matter of being out there and yeah he's he's a stud I I don't really have any issue with him here at all it's it's like one of those picks I Maybe wouldn't always make, but anytime he goes around that spot, I'm just like, yep, it's Anthony Rendon. He's good, and he's going to be productive. It's every year. Yeah, the injuries is interesting to talk about. I remember guesting on one of my friend's podcasts in 2016 as we were doing ranks, and he had just come off of a year, I think, at that time, or maybe it was 2017. He had just come off of his first full year healthy, with 20 home runs, 12 stolen bases. And he had had a lot of injuries in the minors and he had had injuries in 2015 that had limited to him a half season. And I was still wary of him because of all these injuries he had had. I'm like, well, this guy has, I mean, yeah, he played a full season last year, but he's had a lot of injured years before that to where I don't feel comfortable taking him in the second round. But now we're talking, he's played at least 135 games the last three seasons to where it does seem like, they stringing together a few or three seasons of solid health, and I feel a lot more confident confident about him. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Number eight, we have Eugenio Suarez with the Reds. 
He is going at 54 overall. So we're talking the middle of the fourth round. He picked up last year right where he left off from 2017 and made him, took another step forward. 34 home runs and a 283 batting average. And I'll just be honest, I really don't know a ton about this guy. I bet you know more about him than I do. So why don't you tell me your takes on him? Uh, I know a lot of people are in on him. I'm not one of them. He's just not really for me. I feel like what he did is is not going to continue. I His hard hit rate is good. I will say that. But I just don't think that some of what he did is sustainable into this year. I don't think he's hitting 34 home runs again, driving in over 100. Yeah, some of some of it may be because I feel like I've only seen it once at this level. The year before, he hit 260. Last year, he hit 283. And I, I, I feel like he's more of the 260 hitter, maybe around high 20s to 30 home runs. But I feel like you can get that much later. Like, just to give you an idea, Michael Franco, who we will talk about later, but I'm just going to bring this up now. If you look at his steamer projection, or Matt Chapman, too, if you look at those three guys together, their steamer projections, and then look at where they go in drafts, I mean, Franco goes at, like, pick 300, and he's projected for three less home runs, a few less runs and ribbies, and a higher average than Suarez. OBP is different because, yeah, Franco sucks in OBP. He can't take a walk. <laughs> yeah, But I'm just saying that I feel like Suarez's production can be found way later in the draft. I guess that's the best way I can describe him. It's not that I hate him specifically, but when I think of him and I know that he's only done it once at the level that he did it at, and eh, I'm just like, eh, whatever. I, I think I can find the production later. The, like the same production, basically. Way later. He's at pick 54. Franco's at pick th- 299. And their steamer projections are damn close. You know, I um, went and looked at his page here, and you talk about him on fan graphs, and you said his hard hit rate's pretty good. And, man, that's actually pretty incredible last year yeah. what he did. Yeah. 48.6% hard contact, 43% medium, which only leaves him with an 8% soft contact rate. That's a Ronald Acuna levels, if I recall right, of what I saw when I looked at his. But a home run to fly ball rate of 23.4%, that's hard to sustain, even in a good-hitting ballpark like Cincinnati. The year before, he had 17.9%, which when he hit the, what, 26 home runs? I do think it should be closer to that, to where, yeah, I would probably, if you were saying over under 30 home runs, I'd probably take the under, but say it's close. Yeah, and even all that that you're saying, Chapman and Franco both are projected for higher slugging. Slightly. I mean, they're basically the same, but that's kind of, I kind of grouped those three together because I've looked at this, this preseason with these guys and, it's like you're always trying to find value in the draft. And when we get to Franco, I may not have to say too much, but just know that I'm going to say I love him because he's he's free. And you can get what you're going to get out of some of these guys. You know, it's part of the worry with Franco was that they would sign Manny. And yep. obviously that's out the window. So it's just a price thing with Suarez. It It's pick 54 and 
I'm just not doing it. I've, you and I have talked a lot this offseason, and I've learned a lot from you. I've heard you say this a lot in terms of looking at players and comparing them to players you can get later and making sure that it's worth taking this player early because he offers something that you can't get later. Yep. And going through these mock drafts, I found myself more and more in these first four or five rounds taking starting pitching and closers because that's where I'm seeing a big difference whenever I get to these mid rounds of not liking the closers and starting pitchers. This is a philosophical conversation here going a little off track here, but because I look at some of these guys like Rendon and Suarez who are really good players, but I see third baseman in the mid rounds, late rounds that I'm like, I feel comfortable enough taking these because I look at these third basemen right around here and I'm like, I can get that production later. Yeah. That's like always, that's just how my mind is always working with this stuff. If, if I look at a guy in the early parts of the draft and I feel like I can get what he does later in the draft, then why wouldn't I take the guy that I can get later in the draft and find something else that I can't? That's why I've said what I was saying about Trey and Witt. And if I ever say like unique skill sets, it's because later in the draft, those guys don't exist. There isn't any. Like there's no, there's no Witt and Trey. You know, you're not finding 15 home runs and 40 steals in round 15. It just isn't happening. So, like, that's the argument for taking those those guys as opposed to 25 home run bats with no speed. I mean, those guys are – you can find those guys that – Randall Gritchick does that. So, yeah, it's just how I think with stuff like that. And maybe I'll swing back the other way next year, but I look at these aces and closures, and I think the years where I've taken one ace or no aces and taken a bunch of number twos, threes, I've not liked how those pitching teams have come together – and I see other teams with two aces, and I'm jealous at looking at their pitching categories. To where yeah. I took a, I made a change of approach this year. I definitely invested in both of my redraft leagues of trying to get two aces. But all right, I'm going to try getting back on track here, and we'll I'll I'll talk more about that when we get to pitching. All right, we'll move on to number nine here, Matt Carpenter. He's at 71 overall, fifth round near the end of it. We've already discussed him on the first base cop podcast, so. If you haven't listened to the First Base Podcast and you want to hear about Matt Carpenter, go download that one. We're going to have a few of these guys as we go forward. We've already discussed another podcast. Number 10, Miguel Andahar with the Yankees at 75 overall. So we're talking the 5-6 wheel. Andahar had a pretty good rookie year after pretty much coming up right there at the beginning of the year with 27 home runs, 16% strikeout rate, and a 4% walk rate. So puts the bat on the ball, doesn't walk much, but that could always improve. What are your thoughts on him? He's just okay. I'm, I'm not really taking him here. I, he's young. He's excited. You know, his Yankees third baseman. It's like he's going to get some pub. And I, I just he's not really my type of guy. I four percent walk rate. He just doesn't get on base. And I mean, he he's good hitter. Yeah, I don't think anything really stands out. I think ba- batting average should be good again. But yeah, it's just one of those. If if it's here, I'm just waiting a little bit. There's other guys a little further down. That not only are they further down, but I like him just as much, I feel like. I'm just kind of like whatever. I mean, people are drafting him, I feel like, because he's 24. And, oh, wow, his birthday's today. How crazy is that? Yeah, that's right. 20, 
24 years old on the nose, Miguel Andahar. Happy birthday. But yeah, it's just, I don't know, mid 20s homers, 280 average, whatever. Just isn't, uh, isn't that exciting to me at pick 75. But I, I will say I probably would be more likely to take him here than Suarez 20 picks earlier. So I'll at least say that. But yeah, that's about it. I, he just never, ever, ever walks. It, OBP leagues downgrade significantly. 328 OBP. In, in a year where he was awesome, he had a 328 OBP. I think, yeah. he regress, I think he regresses a little bit, and he's still a solid third baseman. And hopefully this is one of those guys that comes up young, not walking much, kind of like Arenado early in his career, because he does not strike out much. As he progresses over the next few years, if he can learn to take a walk better, I think I'd be more in on him. But the only other thing I'll mention, he is what I, from everything I've been told, defensively, he is very poor. Oh, wow. He's looking at his offensive and defensive war right now. Offensively, he's 21.3 value. Defensively, negative 15 to where eventually he's probably going to end up at first base. Machado, if they had signed him, that was what they had talked. They were going to move him over to first base, and that could happen eventually, which is going to put more pressure on the bat. Yeah. All right. Number 11, Travis Shaw. We did mention him on the second base podcast. He's going in the middle of the seventh round at 94 overall. And number 12, Josh Donaldson, who just signed a one-year $25 million deal to go play with the Braves. He's at 99 overall near the second half of the seventh round. It's a great situation. It seems like he's discounted because of all the injuries has had the few years. With the discount, would you take him? Uh, I think it's about the right spot. I'm out on him in dynasty leagues. It's, I, I think in, a, in an OBP redraft, he should be good as long as he can stay healthy. I will say I worry about him quite a bit staying healthy actually because you got to keep a couple things in mind here he's in the nl now so there's no dh so he can't do that and freddie freeman's at first so he can't play first so he's playing third base every single day and i just think that the toll that that could take on a 33 year old's body that's already been banged up that's my question with him i just don't know if he can stay on the field i question it Quite a bit, actually. But yeah. if he is out there in that lineup, he'll be productive. He gets on base. He's still a pretty good hitter. It's just it's kind of one of those things, like how much is he actually out there? And Dynasty, I would the minute he's hot, I would sell him immediately. Yeah. And if somebody's buying now, I would I would already, you know, just I'd be out. But yeah, I, I think there'll be a point where he is hot because it's it's a good situation for him. It's just he needs to be out on the field. Uh, his strikeout rate has gone up the last couple of years, but I think I th- I do agree that when he's healthy, he's going to be producing, especially with such a great lineup around him. Like Steamer has him projected for 125 games. If he can even get that, he's probably worth a pick right here. It's just can he get there? And being a third baseman that's 33 in the NL with. I think last year it was a lot of back problems. If I recall right, I could be wrong on that, but I worry that his body's breaking down on him. Yeah, it's, and like I said, playing third base every single day—it's it's kind of tough. Last year he played 38 games at third, and he DH 12, and he can't—you know—he can't DH now, and he played a game at first. So it'll be. Uh, 
interesting to see how many games he can be out on the field for. But like on a per game basis, he should be productive. Like I said, as a guy who wants to see the Braves be successful, I really enjoy watching that team. I'm cheering for him, and I've always liked him. Seems like a pretty cool dude. But he should he should hit high in the order. You would think. So. Yeah, I personally, if it's me, I'm hitting him second. I'm going. They've talked about Acuna leading off again. That seems where he wants to be, and I'd put, I'd throw him second, have Freeman third, and Marquez fourth, Albies fifth. If it was me, that's that'd be about what I'd do. With yeah, yeah right. that's, what they, that's what they have right now on roster resource. That's exact order that they've got it. Wow, I guess roster resource was listening to me. Yeah, <laughs> right. That, that, I'm sure that's how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. All right, number 13, we got Justin Turner with the Dodgers. He's going at 107.9, which is the top of the eighth round. It's amazing what kind of hitter this guy's turned into. I remember him early in his career with the Mets, and then all of a sudden he turns into this great hitter, and now he's got himself strikeout rates all the way down to 12% this last year, and his walk rate's 11%. He's not a huge power guy. You know, he still could be good for 20-plus home runs with incredible batting average and counting stats on him. Where do you land on him? Yeah, this guy, man, I'm sitting here starting to get to the point where I'm kind of finishing up my drafts, and I have zero shares of this guy, and it bothers me. I, this He is such a good hitter, man. And I, I think the reason I actually have zero shares of him, though, and we didn't mention this at the top and we probably shouldn't have, this this position is loaded. Mm-hmm. This is it's another loaded position, like we said on the shortstop. It all the way down. There's there's even guys in the twenties that I like. It's all the way down. It's pretty loaded. So that's probably why. But yeah, he's he's great. If he's out there for the full season, he's going to have a monster year. I mean, just a monster year. It's again, it's an aging player that. The big thing will be, can he stay on the field? But, man, if he does it, he's going to uh, definitely definitely return value here, no doubt. Justin Turner, just sitting there looking at him right now, kind of reminds me of the third-base version of Daniel Murphy. He's um, 400 OBP back-to-back seasons. So that's pretty impressive. There's not too many guys that do that. He's a monster in OBP leagues. Number 14, we got Will Myers. He's fallen down a little bit because he had an injury-filled season last year, only getting 83 games in. Still hit 11 home runs and 13 steals in those 30 games. The previous two seasons, he had gone 30-20 with home runs and stolen bases. And the year before that, he had 28 home runs and 28 steals. They gave him a little time at third base last year. And it sounds like this year he's going back to the outfield full-time. Where are you at on him? Uh, I can get behind him here. I think he should bounce back as long as he's you know healthy for the duration. Uh, power and speed, which is nice. Dual eligibility, which is nice. Batting average won't be wonderful, but uh, he he contributes more in steals than you think. When you like uh-huh. don't if you're not if you're not really paying attention with him. It's like 28 and 20 steals in 2016 and 17, 13 last year and basically half a season. He runs more than you think. If, if you don't own him, you, it's, I feel like it's one of those guys that you, you may not even notice, you know. 
But uh, yeah, they got him projected for twenty three and seventeen, which I think that's about right. It's a solid player. I've got I've got no issues. Probably a guy that you might want to grab if you get to that stage of the draft and feel like you're light on speed. I feel like he's kind of a good uh, good guy like that. I know I know I mentioned that kind of with Ian Desmond as well. They're like dual eligible twenty twenty potential veteran types. It's kind of uh, kind of how I view him. But yeah, I don't mind him here. He um, dual eligibility is a nice thing to bring up and. The Steels, you know, being in San Diego, that's a team that just seems to like to – they give more of a green light than most other organizations. It's been good for Myers and his value since he went up, moved over there. Yeah. It was really nice when you had him as a first baseman and he was given those steals because that's something that's just hard to find. All right. Yeah. Number – do you have something else? Oh, I was just going to say that the two years before when he was f- fully healthy, 28 and t- – homers 28 steals and 30 homers 20 steals that's that's really good that's yeah. really good so yeah it's it's interesting for sure number 15 matt chapman with the eight oakland a's uh his adp is at 112 we're talking middle of the eighth round he earned mvp votes in 2018 but when i look at his stats i i see somebody who is kind of ordinary going in the eighth round yeah i kind of feel the same way i mean like I was saying earlier, I like him more than Suarez because of where he's priced. And I think that their numbers could be comparable, really. And he's much cheaper. OBP, I think he's a little bit better than he is in batting average. Last year he hit 278, but I don't think he's a 278 hitter. I think he's more like a 250 hitter. But he'll be hitting in the heart of the A's lineup. You know, runs and ribbies should be solid and I don't have a real issue here. I probably would just wait again um, if I was here, but I don't have a real issue with him. He, he's got some power too. So it's interesting. I look at him and I see him right there next to Will Myers. who's going just four picks earlier. I want Myers because at least Myers has the capability of being 2020. He could hit just as many home runs as Chapman, but he could also pitch in 20 steals to go with it. And, both guys who strike out a decent amount, who can take some walks. I definitely would rather hope I get Myers. And if I didn't get him, I'd just be waiting to go move down further on the and get one of the tiers later on. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at because I feel like the other the other numbers could be basically the same besides mm-hmm. steals, or at least or at least close enough. You know, a few runs or ribbies here. That stuff's hard to predict, but. Um, but yeah, I think that the home runs could be close and the averages could be close. And yeah, I, I would take the whatever steals I'm getting out of Myers and run with it. And again, we're not saying these guys are bad fantasy players. We're just saying you could get similar stats later on. And yeah. the grand scheme of things, you could take somebody here who could maybe be a bigger difference maker in another position. Yeah. Number 16 and 17 are players we have already discussed on other podcasts. Max Muncie. At 112, just right there with Matt Chapman. And Jerks and Profar at 120. We talked about Muncie on the first base podcast and Profar on the shortstops. And now we get to number 18, Mike Moustakis at 147. So a good a full round later, actually almost two full rounds later, because he's going at the end of the 10th round. He re-signed with the Brewers a one-year $10 million contract after turning down a qualifying offer at $14 million. I'm okay with his price compared to Chapman's start. 
35 picks earlier. I, th- I think they're very similar, except I even think I'd give Moustakas a little bit of higher upside in terms of home runs. Yeah, Moustakas is all right. Power's pretty good for where we're at in the draft. He's one of 17 players per steamer projected to hit 30 home runs this year. So that's kind of interesting. Most of the guys, um, glancing at it really quickly here, it looks like one or two, maybe three of them, go lower than him in a draft. Basically, one or two, I would say, actually. So, you know, that, that part alone is interesting. If you need power and you're in this spot, you need a third baseman, he should give it to you. And yep. it's a good, good lineup. Like, I don't really have an issue with it. Nobody gets excited when they draft Mike Moustakis, but sometimes those picks are the winning picks. So, Again, he's been playing in Kansas City, and this is going to be his first full season playing in a ballpark, and he's going to Milwaukee. And yep. yeah, he played there in the second half last year, but this will be his first full season there. Hey. And and the year before, when he played a full season in Kansas City, he hit thirty eight. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's he's probably underrated by the fantasy community as a whole. I, I will say that there's a non-zero chance he leads the National League in home runs this year. Yes, there it, is. It's. No, yeah. I'm not saying it's I'm even saying it's likely to happen. Yeah, no, it's not likely, but yeah, like you could squint and see it. I, I'm with you. Okay, number nineteen, Rafael Devers with the Red Sox. He's going at one forty eight, so pretty much right at the exact same slot as Mustakis. His first full season last year was tough. He was dealing with some injuries in the middle of the year. He had some conditioning issues. He struggled to have a 240 batting average with 21 home runs in 121 games, and that's a disappointment for those who had drafted him in redraft. I think most people were more hoping for 25 to 30 home runs with a higher batting average showing than that after he hit 284 in 58 games in his rookie year when he came, after he came up. He did lose a lot of weight this offseason. He looks noticeably slimmer. I think he said he's 35 to 40 pounds lighter, so mark him down for one of the best shape of his life life players he did make some changes to his swing in his second half of last year i do remember hearing that he had been working with jd martinez and i do think that he was getting some more elevation on his on balls he was hitting i'm not saying that i think he's definitely going to be a star this year but if you were asking me players who i think could break out this year i think this is one that could be a post-time sleeper who could have a nice breakout yeah i man i like devers he he let me down last year, though. I will say that. He, he really did. He was not good. No. Um, it leaves a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. It is a good price. I will say that. It's, you're basically looking at like the 10-11 wheel. It's a good price. I wonder how much of the intrigue with him is just built off of the fact that he was a highly touted prospect and isn't that far removed from it. But the one thing to keep in mind is he's really young. He's still only 22, just turned 22, actually, after last season. So played all of last season at age 21. There's definitely room for growth, but he also needs to do it. It's kind of like what I said about Ed Rosario on the last podcast. He needs to take steps forward. You know, it's not... It could be one of those things where it stagnates for a little bit and it just doesn't get as as much improvement as you would hope. And I hope it doesn't happen because 
I think he's a good hitter. I really do. And it would make that Boston lineup even more fun if he was just crushing in it too. It's yeah. I'm in at this price. I can see it. I, I guess I kind of just like, I like it, but I I see the warts too a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not faulting anybody for taking it. It's, it's kind of an upside pick, but I do think that there's floor that can hurt you by taking him here too. I, if he repeats last season or anything close to that, you're not going to be that happy with the pick. Yeah. So uh, between him and Mustakas going here back to back, I'd take Mustakas over him. Yeah. And by significantly more because I think Mustakas has the upside Dever has, but a much higher floor. Yeah. But if Mustakas is gone and people are souring on Devers and he's fallen below this 148, I would take him and hope for the the upside that he carries. I think that October was a big wake-up call for him because with all that was going on with his injuries, his weight was – he was gaining weight. He was sitting on the bench for behind Eduardo Nunez in October a lot to where I think that was a big wake-up call for him in terms of – he took this offseason very seriously in terms of being a professional, losing all that weight, getting himself – as he said, I want to be able to be healthy and contribute the whole season – I need to get my body in a better place to where I can. And it sounds like he's put in that work this offseason to where if he's doing that and he had the swing adjustments late last year, I think all that could come together for him. But again, I don't also have I'm not saying he's grossly underdrafted here too. I just I just saying I, I can see some upside if yeah. Clay. Yeah, I'm with you. The next three we've already discussed. Eduardo Escobar with the Diamondbacks at 174. He's 20th, and he was discussed on Shortstop Podcast. Yuli Gurriel with the Toronto Blue Jays. Should we at least recap what we think of Yuli Gurriel? No, I think I'm good. <laughs> I at least want to say it. He sucks <laughs> at 21. And we discussed him on the second base podcast. Joey Wendell, we also discussed on the second base podcast. He's at 22. And that brings us to an, a very recognizable name at 23, Miguel Sano, who's now going all the way down in the 15th round at 213. The price is down onto him because he's had a lot of struggles when he's been healthy. He also has had some quite a few injuries. The power is still there. He has elite-level power. His K-rate is a big problem. I mean, in 71 games last year, his strikeout rate was all the way up to 38.85%. Andrew, I know you've got, you were a big fan of him a couple of years ago. I haven't talked to you as much about him the last year or two. Where do you land on this guy? I'm fine with it here. I, I've definitely always kind of liked him, but it's, it just hasn't really worked out. I mean, I'll be honest. It just, it just hasn't really worked out. He strikes out too much and, it's just the power. It's almost like he can't get to the insane power that he has because he has insane power. He does. Yes, league leading home run yeah, power. Yeah, right, right. And if he could get to it, I feel like it would show up. But he he swings and misses so much that I just feel like he he's not going to ever get to it. He'll still hit for some power just because that's that's what he does. But it's I don't feel like it's ever gonna quite be what you would have said his ceiling for power was you know like if 
you know, like we, you know, people thought he was a 40 home run guy potentially or, or more. And I don't think he's ever going to get to that. I, it's not like it's too late. He's only 25, about to be 26. But there's a there's adjustments that need to be made still, and he hasn't made them. He isn't really showing any signs of making them. It's kind of it's kind of dangerous actually. When he got sent down last year, that was like a huge red flag because it's not mm-hmm. even like the Twins. It's not like the Twins had some superstar waiting to plug in. What was it like, Eduardo Escobar, right? And somebody else. No, I know. I think this was in the first half. He was sent down, and Escobar was covering for Polanco. Oh yeah, well they moved him over. I'm trying to think of who they had. I maybe missed yeah. somebody, but it was nobody that good. Is the point? It's just it was yeah. nobody, no standout player. I almost kind of am starting to question the Twins' player development. I know I've said that before, and that's probably a topic for another day. But it's hard to believe that a guy with this type of talent and he does have a lot of talent. He's been, he was always a highly touted prospect and stuff that he just can't figure it out. It's, it sucks, but you're sitting here in round 15. You need power. It's fine. He he could hit 30 bombs. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he could play 140, 150 games. I still feel pretty good that he hit 40 because in 2016 and 2017, he played 116, 114 games and he had 25 and 28 home runs. You think he would hit 40, or you think he can hit 40? I think he would be approaching it. I, If you had me guessing, if you had me saying he's playing 150 games this year, I'd say he'd hit 35 to 37 home runs. I don't think he can stay healthy. I think yeah. he, his body is too big. He's having too many health problems. His strikeout rate so high that there's a, there's a chance that they could keep him. They send him down again, too. I just don't think he can get to 140, 150 games. But if it all came together, if he could cut that strikeout rate even down to 30%, which is still bad, but if he could even be that, he could be a crazy hitter because he hits the ball hard. He's always, his hard hit rate is always well, is, it's always over 40%. His entire career, every year he's been in the bigs, it's been over that. And his medium c- contact is over 40% too. When he makes contact, it's loud. But I just worry about the ability to get the bat on the ball and the ability to stay healthy. Maybe some year he'll turn it around. I don't think in a batting average league, I'm still taking him here in the 15th round. I think there's other guys I'm taking instead or other third baseman I'm taking lower. Not somebody I'm really wanting, but I get it if you do want him because he has elite level power potential if he could stay healthy. I would have bet some good coin that when Joe Maurer left that he would be the first baseman Uh and I cannot believe that they bring in CJ Cron and Nelson Cruz to first base not that there's anything (laughs) wrong with there's really nothing wrong with those guys don't don't get me wrong I'm not saying that it's just you have that guy in a way with Miguel Sano already I guess not Sano to Cruz but just that type where it just makes so much sense for Sano to just move over to me. And it's like, it's just weird to me that he's still sitting there at third base. Like, shouldn't he be moving over to first DH, keep himself healthier, you know, all those things. And now it's like Cruz is a locked in at DH now. So he's got to play the field and he's had trouble staying healthy. I, I feel like when you're playing the field every day, 
and you have trouble staying healthy, that's just another way that you can get hurt. Miguel Sano isn't good in the field anyways. Why is he out there? When I say the field, I mean I don't mean first base. I mean like the other positions, basically. I almost don't even count first base as the field. But you get what I'm trying to say. It's just it, was, it reduces the odds that he's going to be out there for 150 games, like you mentioned. I just feel like agreed. it does. He was so bad at third that they tried him in the outfield a couple of years ago. That was a terrible experiment. They moved him back to first, and now they're moving him back to third. And it doesn't make sense why. It really doesn't. Michael Avery asked on Facebook specifically, wanted us to discuss his dynasty league value. And I did go look it up. He went in the 12th round of our 15-team startup dynasty. That one is an OBP league. I'll say right now, if I owned a Sano and someone was offering me 12th round value, like, for instance, in that same round, I think I took, let's see, I took Christian Robinson, nice young prospect. Fidel Bruhan went that round. If I owned Sano and I could get one of those young prospects for him, I'd sell him. Mackenzie Gore, Greg Polanco. There's a lot of guys, even Carlos Santana. All those guys in Nobi P League, I would rather have than Sano personally. So it depends on how they view him, but I still think that he may be getting some love just because of his name and his potential that I don't know if he'll ever hit to where if, if I could sell him to somebody who was thinking he had 12th round value, I would be. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, Rotomasters 3 startup. So it's 20-team OBP, and he went 148 overall. That's about the same. So that would be the end of round 10 in a 15-team league, and it was round 8. It was like the middle of round 8 in this league. And it was a great owner that took him, so... I mean, I don't really have anything bad to say about that, but it I probably wasn't for me. I wasn't getting him in this. But we'll see. I mean, maybe he'll maybe he'll bounce back, and he's still young. But I just feel like there's a growing track record of negativity here. So he definitely needs to uh, produce. Yep. Number 24 is Drupal Cabrera. We've already discussed him. And we'll go to 25, Kyle Seeger at 255. That's the 22nd round. It's been a quite a fall from grace for this guy. It doesn't feel like there's much to get excited here with him anymore, especially with this team cleaning house and them not really having many bats to hit around him. I'm not really interested in touching this guy. Where are you at? Same. Declining skills, aging player, bad team, yuck. No interest. Okay, move on. <laughs> don't need to spend too much time on yeah. these guys. We're trying sorry. to at least get the sorry if you love Kyle Seeger. I I used to think he was a good player, but he's just declining like crazy. And now, at least before, you had Cano and Cruz and stuff around him in the lineup when D Gordon was good and all that. And now it's a lot of that's gone, and it's just it's just a mess. I I feel like it's bad combination of things going on for him right now. And I'm gonna see to you on this next one. Twenty six is Ian Happ. A guy who actually, I didn't even realize he, had, he was third base eligible and that he wasn't second base eligible, but Chris Bryant was hurt for a lot of last year, so he gained eligibility there. Strikeout rates are insane last year at 36%, but he is incredibly good at taking walks. But you're the Cubs fan. You tell me about Ian Happ. Yeah, it's almost he, it's almost like Joey Gallo without the power. <laughs> the K rate and the walk rate, it's... 
it's nuts. He is good at taking walks, but yeah, I never, I never was that big in on Hap. I really wasn't. I, I thought he was like a solid prospect, but I think everybody was kind of overrating the whole like Cubs develop these bats type thing. And I think people were just expecting a little too much out of him. And yeah, I, I just wasn't that surprised by what happened last year. He did have a good OBP, but you know, just mediocre everything else, and just kind of, just kind of one of those whatever guys. It's late enough in the draft now that I don't mind him, dual eligible, and you can, you could maybe see him bumping up, but it's not, it's not super exciting. He's just kind of blotted me too. Man, looking at his minor league stats. Strikeout rate was somewhere in the 21 to 23 percent rate all through the minors, all the way A ball, double A, triple A. Walk rates were really good. I remember hearing Ben Zobras comps on this guy as he was coming up, and I'm shocked at how bad poor his K rate is once he's made it to the bigs. There must have been some holes in his swing that were not getting exposed in the minor leagues that major league pitchers have found. Yeah, the other the other thing I think that could happen to or at least has some potential of happening is him not playing a lot i mean mm-hmm. he like he's supposed to play they've got him down at center field right now but almora i know almora is not exciting for fantasy he's basically nothing but he's a good defensive player yeah i don't know man if if hap's struggling with the bat i i could see him getting pushed to the bench even unless the good thing with him though is he's versatile so if there's an injury anywhere, pretty much, they can move guys around and probably, you know, he probably will get his at-bats that way either way, but just something to keep in mind. Yeah, but you're drafting this guy to be a starter for your fantasy team. You're still in starter rounds if you're in a 15-team league. So I'm with you. Our, I'm not touching him personally at that point. I'd t- gladly take him as a reserve pick just in case he worked into a starting role, but even then he might be a first cut just because he's not getting enough playing time early in the year. 27, we got Jake Lamb for the Diamondbacks. That's another guy who's fallen because of injury. But the difference with him and Hap is that Lamb has playing time. He's, I think there's a little bit of value here. To, and it sounds like he's going to be moving to first base to replace Paul Goldschmidt. Really nice in OBP leagues. Strikeout rate isn't quite as ugly. He does have ugly platoon splits. And I wouldn't shock me if the Diamondbacks are sitting him versus lefties. But I kind of like him at this price here, especially in an OBP league. I tried getting him in some of my OBP redraft leagues, and I failed. I did take him in some mock drafts during the winter. I'm a fan of him at this price. Yeah, I agree. I like him here. I I think he's completely being forgotten about. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy, actually, to me. The couple years before, he was good. You know, 250 average, 30 home runs, but he was also priced so much higher than, you know, those previous years when he was doing that. He, he was he was going way higher than drafts, and now he's just totally forgotten about. It's we're almost to pick 300. It's like round 17, 18. It's totally fine. I it, I think it's going to be nice, like the third base, first base. And, yeah, I think he's going to hit right in the middle of the lineup. He, he can't hit lefties, so that kind of sucks. But there's got to be a wart somewhere with guys that are this far down. You know, it's I like everything else. I, I think that uh, there's definite value here for sure. 
pick 269. And the thing is, he couldn't hit lefties in 2016 or 2017. He was still hitting 30 right. home runs and hitting 250 with right. solid stats. I don't yeah. understand this one either. Yeah, it's it's late for sure. And I think a lot of I think a lot of it is just because he was so hurt last year. It's you know when a guy is out for two thirds of the season, which is basically what he missed. It's almost like people kind of forget about him in a way, and I, I feel like that's happening here. I, I definitely would buy him at this price. I haven't gotten him yet either, and it kind of uh, he's been on my radar in one of my leagues that I'm in that I'm drafting now. But yeah, it's I'm interested here for sure. Now that we've discussed all three of the players that Brendan Craig asked about with his Facebook question, I'm going to bring it up. Brendan asked Miguel Sano, Kyle Seeger, Jake Lamb. One of the players exceeds their ADP. One of them is right at their OBP, and one's overdrafted. Pick one for each of these players. Well, I'm definitely taking Lamb to exceed it. I'm taking Sano to be right at it, and... I guess that just throws Kyle Seeger to the, to the wind, <laughs> but yeah, that, um, that would be my, that would be my three. I will say that Sano is probably the most likely of the three to either have a stud, like a big season or be absolutely horrendous. So there's like a wide, wide range there, but I like lamb the most of the three, especially when you consider that he's the cheapest of the three, too, at least according to the ADP right now. So he would be my guy of the three for this year. Well, what you said there at the end about Sano is exactly why I would have him as the one that is overdrafted. Because I don't think he's going to be correct one way or another. I think he's either going to be really good or really bad. And I'm just going to lean for the injuries and production to say he's overdrafted. And I'm going to put Seeger as the one that's correct for that reason, because I think we got a pretty good feel of what he is, and that's why he's down here. And I think yeah. he's going to be steady. That said, I would draft Sano over Seager just shooting for that upside. I don't want Seager, but and Lamb's definitely my pick for exceeding it. Number 28, we have Isaiah Keener-Falifa, the guy who plays every position, including catcher. We've already discussed him. 29's Brian Anderson with the Miami Marlins at 283. He got a 52% ground ball rate, and he had only 11 home runs in 156 games. That's not really a great combo. Uh, we don't have to spend too much time on him unless you have something real big you want to say, but you have any thoughts you want to share? Um, not not specifically, no. He is what he is. He, uh, he does have a career 354 OBP, so that's good. I feel like he's a little bit underrated, but, he, but the, the pop really isn't isn't shown up so that's the part that's kind of disappointing if, if he could get the the home runs up some he could be a little interesting down here but it's kind of more one of those things with this guy you're if you're drafting him you're just no it's knowing you're getting at bats because he's going to play and hit right in the middle of that horrible lineup <laughs> yeah it's that he he is gonna it, there's no risk of him losing playing time basically there's none like he's going to play every day. That's the best thing I can say about Brian Anderson, I guess. But I was about to say, you said he's going to hit, hit right in the middle of the and paused up and say, thunderous. Yeah. Miami lineup. <laughs> yeah. He's got to get the home runs up there. That's the thing. If he can ever get that, he, he'll be a productive player. Until then, he's corner infielder. 
Number thirty, we've already you've already talked about him a lot early on, so we don't we may not have to spend too much time on him unless you want to. But Mikel Franco for the Phillies, way down here at two ninety nine, Steamer is favorable to him. He is in a real loaded lineup. I'm with you. I did get him in a draft and hold league, and I feel pretty good about it. I waited a while, and he's my starting third baseman because I kept missing out on guys. But I'm okay with it just because. I feel like he can still give me production that's not too far off of other guys. Yeah, I I tell you what, man. I really like him here. You're at pick 299. I'm looking at these projections and they're really favorable like you said. It's there's no risk here. It's round it's the end of round 20 basically, round 2021. 20, this stat line like another guy just to throw another guy out there. His line, I've got it's right. I've got it right next to Josh Donaldson right now, and it's the same slugging, the same batting average, one less home run, and runs and ribbies that are basically dead even. This guy is a steal. I mean, he's just an absolute steal. I know that people are probably laughing, like, "Oh my God, Michael Franco!" But it's pick three hundred. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if it's bad, and he can definitely outproduce this. There's definite value here. Ignore everything I've said in OBP leagues because, like I said, he can't take a walk. But, but yeah, batting average leagues, I, I actually really like him here. I think that he's – and especially now that you don't have to worry that uh, Machado is, is going to be there because that was, that was kind of the question, you know, about a month ago. It was like, oh, boy, because anybody taking Michael Franco, that was what they were thinking. But, yeah, yeah it's, I, like, I like him here for sure. I, I, I would take him over – several of these guys ahead of them. Yeah, definitely. me too. The only other thing I'm going to add, you have to take somebody at the end of your draft. You have to have some position you wait on. So you want whatever you wait on to be something that you feel you can be close to the players that are going earlier that other people are taking. And that's why I agree that this is a guy to wait on because you can get production close as compared to other positions where let's say you wait on a, Oh, I don't know. Outfield. And at the end of the draft, outfield's pretty ugly right there at the end of a draft of a 15 team league. Yeah. If you need like a corner infielder and you've kind of waited, like I, I kind of like waiting on corner infielder and taking mm-hmm. one of these guys like Sano, Lamb, Franco. I'm fine with taking those guys in this in this range. It's, you know, whatever one you like is up to you. But I mean, there's. There's, uh, I think there's value to be had. The one negative I will say with Franco, aside from the OBP, is there's been little mentions of uh, Kingery and him competing for that job. And I know Kingery was really bad last year, but it, it is kind of one of those things where if it goes the other way or Franco has a bad spring, I don't actually know what he's doing so far this spring. I haven't looked, but... They said it was an open competition going in, so I guess there's a little bit of risk there. But, but yeah, if he's the starting third baseman, I, I just feel like this is going to be automatic value unless he starts losing playing time, which anything's possible. But I, I definitely would buy him here. All right, let's kind of close this out with everything after 30. Who are players after 30 that are down the rankings that you find interesting? Um, guys, we haven't mentioned. If you have any, just shout them out. I don't really have it. Okay, I'll start off. Jung Ho King, he's at 43. 
that's a guy who was really productive in the last couple of years where he was playing in 2015 and 2016. In 2016 specifically, he played two-thirds of a season and had 21 home runs with a 255 batting average. He's off to a hot start now that he's back playing in the States again. I think if he, he I think there's a chance he could wrestle that third base job away from Moran. Maybe even Moran work his way over to first base if Josh Bell is struggling. To where I think Kang's interesting to draft as a reserve round pick. Austin Riley at fifty two. If something happens to Josh Donaldson, I'm not saying I'm drafting Riley. Maybe in the reserve rounds I'd take him. If I drafted Donaldson, I'd really give some consideration to taking him as insurance because if something happened to him, they could bring Riley up. J.D. Davis is a guy who I've always I've liked the last few years. He has not shown well in the major leagues when he played for Houston. Now he's over with the Mets. They have quite a few injuries on that team right now, and he's a he's a reserve round pick I, I kind of like. And Kevin Cron all the way down at 69, that's another guy who I have taken in a lot of, I think, both of my redraft leagues and my dynasty startup this year. He's been somebody who's struck out in the low 20s the last couple years percent rate he's made it to triple a and had 22 home runs in 104 games last year he is a right-handed hitter so you do have some fears that he could be a wrong side of a platoon but his spur charts don't look bad to where he hits it to all parts of the field so he's somebody who isn't guaranteed to be like a bad side of a platoon guy he's third base eligible right now from what I hear, he may be a first baseman. He's going to have to either have some injuries or production problems out of one of the Diamondback starters to get into the get up and get some playing time. But I find him interesting as a late reserve round pick or at least somebody to monitor in case he gets called up and start getting playing time. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on Cron. I've always I've kind of thought that going into the season too. If any one of them goes down and none of them are really. You know, it's not like you're talking about stars in any of those spots, really. It's I could see that one. Um, one I want to touch on that I know some people are kind of into is Renato Nunez for the Orioles. Just because when you're looking this far down, you're kind of just looking for playing time. And he should get it. 32 homers in the minors in 2017. He's always kind of just been one of those power bats, you know, so that far down he could be like Michael Franco you know it's it's not definitely not out of the out of the question um he was kind of one that jumped out at me Evan Longoria nah not really into him anymore and I know some people are high on Yandy Diaz shout out to Barry shout out to Barry Baker but I I don't (laughs) hi Barry I don't uh I don't think it's happening man I don't know 80 grade body 20 grade power (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's it's every single ball hitting to the ground it's yeah it's like tim tebow throwing a football except he's swinging a baseball bat he i did uh, go from I, don't, the ground. I don't think i told you but i i did take jd davis today in rm3 oh so. i didn't hear that yet That's yeah interesting i didn't know yes. what your thoughts are on him round uh i think it was like round 32 we're in or something yeah, yeah i've been i've been reading a little bit about it's kind of one of those things that the the major league talent right now is pretty sapped as far as young guys go. It's it's getting ugly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's ugly. It's already ugly. It's not getting ugly. It, it already is. But I, I've been reading a little bit about how he could win a job. And 
he's 25 or whatever. You just, you never know. So, he could I'd be give, one of those guys that figured I'd give him like a spin. Tyler White, you know what he did for Houston. I could see JD Davis being one of those types that comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden is a valuable fantasy player this year. But it could also be he struggles and is back in the minors by the middle of the year. So, yeah, it could go either way. They've got him. They've got him down at first base, and they've got Frazier at third, which he's played both of those. And I just think I, I have mentioned it before, but I just think Todd Frazier's completely cooked. Like I, mm-hmm. I just think he's done. So you know, there's almost kind of like there's two openings there. Lots, part of that is because Lowry's hurt, yeah, and he's he's like questionable for opening day. So that may not be a long-term thing, but I think he could work his way into that lineup. Never know. You never know. Okay, we'll finish up with a couple Facebook questions here then. John Trebesh asked, which third-base prospect not named Vlad makes the biggest impact in 2019? I think I've already answered that with Austin Riley and Kevin Cron are my two. And you mentioned, who did you just mention? I already forgot. Oh, yeah, Renato Nunez. Renato Nunez, yeah. It kind of depends if you consider Nick Senzel a third baseman still. I Oh, yeah, that's one I hadn't even thought of. Yeah, I don't know if, if that even counts, but, I mean, if it does, he certainly has to be in the discussion. He um, must not. I didn't even see him in the ADP rankings on third base, so I'm assuming they don't even have him down as a third base. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that he qualifies there. But um, if he doesn't at the moment, he won't because it sounds like he's playing. The other field. the other third base po- prospect off the top of my head that could get run later in the season is Mountcastle. I think for just because it's Baltimore, and and you would think that there will be a point where he's up. But that's that's speculating. I, it's guessing, really. I don't know. But yeah, late in the year when Baltimore is like forty games under five hundred, why not just throw Mountcastle out there and see what he can do? You know, I agree. I think he'll be up this year. I missed him when I was going down my list, but I have him in Roto Masters too. I think he's a guy who he even started walking a little more this last year. I'm interested to see him when he gets up. He won't play third yeah. base, just so you guys know, because he has a noodle for an arm. So he'll be playing either first base or left field, but he should be up this year. He's a weird guy for me to figure out. I, I can't figure that guy out. It's like you hear he's his values with his bat. He's just his defensive questions all over the place. Like, where's the guy going to play? And he doesn't really walk. And There's all these question marks, but it's like above average hit tool with above average power. So it's. He kind of needs to play somewhere, but I don't know. It's it's such a weird fit, like a strange, odd player. I don't even know who I would compare him to with, with what I've read on him. Ryan Healy. That's the name I think of. At least I'll give him this. He finally got his walk rate up to 6% in double A this year. That just shows just how brutal of a walk rate he's had. But he doesn't strike out much, and he hits, makes hard contact. And all that really reminds me of Ryan Healy with the Mariners. That's the comp I'm thinking this last year. Doesn't excite you much, does it? I don't think you're no. a big Healy fan. No, I'm not. Definitely not. Okay, we'll get to the last question here. Ryan Andrew asked, with the position being so deep, what is the lowest-ranked third baseman you'd feel comfortable going into the season as your starter? I would probably say, like, the Moustakis-Devers 
combo there. I think beyond that, I want the guy as my corner infielder. I like those guys later. Like I can I can get behind Snow if you're into him, Lamb and Franco, like I mentioned, but I don't really want those guys as my starting third baseman, though. I would rather have them as my corner infielder. So yeah, Moose Moose endeavors, I would say. Which is a ways will... down that's a ways down the list. I mean, that's 18-19. So again, like shortstop, there's plenty of these guys to go around. It it really ultimately it just comes down to your pre- kind of personal preference on certain things. So goes back to what I said at, when I got on my tangent earlier. There are positions that I just feel like I can wait on and why I'm going more pitchers early this year. You said you you won't feel comfortable with them. I actually will say this with Mikel Franco. I did take him as my starting third baseman in a draft and hold, but it's because I took two stud first basemen pretty early in that draft. And if you do go with some first baseman early, and you could just wait on him. And really, I look at it as that's my corner infielder, even though he's at my third base slot, and I'm okay yeah. with that. But, you know, if I have a, only a first baseman taken and I'm taking a third baseman, I'd probably go down to Devers. That'd probably be about where I'd say is where I'd feel comfortable, unless I have two stead first basemen. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. We're done with the infield, Andrew. Yes, we are. Yeah, we're, uh, we're getting close. We have piled these through here. We're a little over two weeks ago is when we started these podcasts, and we've already done catcher first, second short, and third base, along with still mixing in a first-year player draft. We are getting this done. Yeah, we are. We definitely are. It's fun. I, lo- I obviously love talking about it, but the outfield ones, I think we're going to have to split up, man. It's yes. it's going to be a marathon. Holy cow. No, the, the, uh, with the way we like to talk about these guys, even if we're like, let's try to talk about these players less, we still find ourselves talking about them more and going into this. So, yeah, we'll yeah. definitely have to split up outfield as we record those next week, and we'll probably try to work that into two episodes and do the same thing with starting pitching. We'll probably yeah. still won't talk about every single guy. That might be as we get further along, we're trying to say, hey, we'll list off five guys and ask Andrew who he wants to talk about. And yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of stud players in the outfield. So some of them, yeah. it's almost like it's like, what do you even say about Mike Trout at this point? You know, it's just like exactly <laughs> best player in Mike baseball Trout. next. Take him number one. <laughs> yeah, don't get yeah. cute and take anybody else. That's the stuff you can look forward to next week. Yep. Well, do you have anything you want to close out on then? Anything you want nope. to plug? Pretty much it. We're uh, just trying to bang these out. So, I did forget to bring this up at the top of the show, and I'm going to try to remi- remember to bring this up every podcast until opening day. But anybody who makes a review on it puts a review up for us on iTunes. We're entering a dr- will be entered into a drawing. Right around opening day, we're going to draw from those names who have put a review in, and we're going to send somebody a free Baseball 365 shirt. So if you could go onto iTunes and give us a review, we'll get your name entered in there. I've noticed we've had a few of them. So Yeah, we've had a couple of reviews. Love to get some more. That's the best way we can get our get more attention for our podcast. Are you, uh, are you wanting to do the outfield or the starting pitcher next? What we've been think? going through hitters, so I'd say we do outfield yeah. next. And then yeah, work our way into the pitchers. And Andrew had a good suggestion of 
when we do relievers, we'll, that prob- probably won't be as long of a podcast. And maybe at the end of that, we'll try to get the de- designated hitters in there. So we'll try to talk about Chris Davis and a few of the others. Yep. Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening and take care, everybody. Yep. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year.